Please join me for a word of prayer. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. Happy New Year. Hope you had some good time away uh, with friends and family over this uh, holiday season. Christmas uh, recounts, as you know, the great deeds by which God became man and dwelt among us. And throughout the Christmas story, we encounter various responses to the Christmas story. Some responses are good. Most responses are good. Some responses are bad. Uh, So, for instance, you have the good response of Mary, uh, the mother of God, who ponders these things in her heart. The response of the shepherds, that's a good response. The response of the shepherds, who... Uh, seek out these things diligently, and when they find the Christ, they go and tell others. Another good response to Christmas. This morning, we encountered two very vivid responses to Christmas. One of them is very good, uh, the response of the Magi, and one of them is very bad, uh, the response of Herod. Uh, The wise men seek diligently, and they rejoice exceedingly with great joy, and then they worship God, worship Christ, by giving their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That is the perfect response to Christmas. They they worship Christ, and they glorify Him, and they enjoy Him. How good is that answer? That's not only a good response to Christmas, that's a good summary of the Christian life. There's a... uh, enduring document called the Westminster Catechism written in the 1600s and it's a a document that provides pithy answers to big questions and one of the first questions is what is the chief end of man? What's man's purpose? Man and woman's purpose. What's humanity's purpose? And the response to that question is the purpose of humanity is to worship God and enjoy him forever. And that's exactly what the wise men do. They worship God, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they do so with joy. A perfect answer, not as a response only to Christmas, but a a great summary of the Christian life. Herod is the exact opposite. He seeks diligently the Christ not to worship and honor him, uh, but instead to kill him. Now, my assumption is this morning that we as followers of Christ want to be in that the former description, not the latter. That we want our response to Christmas to be like the wise men, those who seek to worship God, uh, to honor him, and to enjoy him. And I hope that we would not only view that as an appropriate response to Christmas, but further as a, a great summary for the entire scope of your Christian life. You may not use those exact words, uh, but I hope that all of us as followers of Christ would come to some sort of conclusion, yet that the purpose of my life is to honor God, to glorify him, and to enjoy him, just like the wise men did. So that, that is my assumption this morning, that we are, as followers of Christ, that's what we want our lives to be. We want that to be true of our lives. Now, the problem with that statement of the purpose of our life is to worship God and to to glorify God and enjoy Him is in its application. I remember very vividly, as a 10-year-old boy, I was driving home with my mom, who's here in worship with us this morning, so you can ask her to verify this, but I was driving home from a soccer game. We were in Florida, very hot, and I had 
just played a, a game, and I turned to Mom, and I said, Mom, how do, you, how do you play soccer for the glory of God? It makes me sound like a very endearing, uh, cherubic child, which was not the case at all, but I ha- apparently I had my moments. And I don't know what my mom said, but I know what I would say if someone asked me that same question. How do you, if I was caught on my back heel, how do I, how do I play soccer for the glory of God? I would simply say, I don't know. How do you do the mundane stuff of your life? How do you work? How do you fashion your home for the glory of God? Right? This is a great bumper sticker, a great answer to a complex question. And we can see how it's lived out in the life of the wise men. But what about you? What about me? What does it look like to glorify God and enjoy him in the normal stuff of mundane life? And so that's the question I want to consider this morning. And I'm going to do so through the lens of a 10-year-old. I've had a thought I've, this week. I've pondered what I would say to a 10-year-old who asked me, how do I play soccer for the glory of God? So I'm going to answer my own question 10 years later. So all these uh, responses are going to begin with soccer illustrations. Some of you may not like soccer. I happen to really enjoy the game. I even like watching it. Uh, But we're going to start with a sports analogy, but I think these are broadly applicable to all of life. So if a 10-year-old boy asked me, how do I glorify God playing soccer? The first thing I would say is simply, well, you play hard. Play hard. Now, that does not sound like very sage advice or even very uh, biblical advice or further, even hard advice to, to put into practice. But I would disagree with all those assumptions. I think it's very sage advice. It's not like I'm patting myself on my back for my own sage advice. I think it's very practical and very hard to put into practice. The Jesuits are an order of Roman Catholic monks. And as part of their formation, they hear this one phrase over and over again. It's age quad agis. And that's a phrase in Latin. And it simply means this. Do whatever it is you are doing. Age quad agis. Whatever you are doing, do it. Are you playing soccer? Play soccer. Put your whole heart into it. See, Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit order, was aware that you and I are very susceptible to two two challenges. The first is the challenge of distraction. We, We easily allow the present moment to be robbed of meaning because we're distracted by what's going on out there, by the possibility that the grass is greener, by the fear of missing out on something else. So we're distracted. And if that is true for Ignatius Loyola writing well before the age of cell phones and whatnot, you better believe that's a big challenge for us now. We run the risk of constant distraction. Further, we run the risk of discouragement, of thinking that what we're doing now really has no real significant significance that I could be doing other things that are more important. But again, the sage counsel of Ignatius was, do whatever it is you're doing. Do it wholeheartedly. And so how does a 10-year-old boy glorify God playing soccer? Well, he plays soccer and does so wholeheartedly. 
How do you glorify God at your work, at your home, in the mundane stuff of life? Whatever you do, do it. Pour yourself into it. Don't fall prey to the temptation of distraction. Don't fall prey to the danger of discouragement. Put yourself into the present moment and do whatever it is that God has for you to do. That is the first thing I would say to a 10-year-old boy who asked me, how do I play soccer for the glory of God? I'd say, play hard. The first way we glorify God and whatever we're doing is by doing whatever it is you are doing. Play hard. Secondly, I told that little boy, I told him, play fair. Play fair. I tell that boy, look, if you play hard, you're going to make fouls. That's part of life. You're going to bump into people. You're going to knock people down. That's just part of playing hard. But don't cheat. Don't intentionally foul. There's a word for this in the Christian faith. The word for intentionally fouling is called presumptuous sin. And that's in Psalm 19. The very end of Psalm 19, the author, which we assume is David, says, Keep me, O God, from presumptuous sin or high-handed sin. Deliberate sin. He's making a distinction that we don't often think about. We often think about sin as sin, and to a certain degree, that's true. All sin separates us from God, absolutely. Uh, Jesus redeems us from all sin, absolutely. But you better believe there is a big difference on the impact of various types of sin and you, on ourselves. And there's a big difference between thinking something and doing something. Keep me, O oh God, away from presumptuous sin. Keep me away from just not caring, of knowing what is wrong, not even trying to do what is right, and giving God the figurative hand of the face. Presumptuous sin. A great negative example of presumptuous sin is Herod. Herod the Great. Now he is a terrible man. How did he become so terrible? He was so terrible that uh, some of his peers said that it was better to be Herod's pet than his child because he killed all of his, most of his children that he viewed as a threat to the throne. He was a bad, bad man. How did Herod become so bad? Was he fundamentally different from you and me? Was he born bad? Was he born a monster? I just don't think so. I think he had the same sort of selfish impulses that you have, that I have, that we all have. And he just had the capability to indulge those impulses without uh, any correction. And pretty soon he, uh, after turning a blind eye to conscience for so long, pretty soon that conscience was just dead. And so Herod serves as a warning a warning to keep away from deliberate sin. So the second thing I'd say to that boy, I'd say to all of us, how do you glorify God in what you're doing? First, do what it is you're doing. Second, 
Avoid presumptuous sin. Avoid it. It's dangerous. Third thing I would tell that boy. How do you glorify God playing soccer? I'd say something else. It doesn't sound particularly religious. I'd say have fun. I mean, after all, that's sort of the point of a 10-year-old. Despite the intensity that Northern Virginia parents put around kids' sports, the real purpose of a kid playing sport is actually to enjoy the game. Right? We, we play by the rules. We avoid fouling. We learn the disciplines of the game. Why? So that you can enjoy it. I coach uh, my son, Matthew, who's in the third grade, and some other children in the church as well. I coach their soccer team. And I have to say, for the first four or five years, it's not great fun for me. I don't know if it's great fun for them either. It's, you've probably heard bunch ball. We're all familiar with this group of eight people just circling the field like a, a pack of bees or a swarm of bees, hacking at one another's shins. Uh, it's just not very elegant. But thank God, come the third grade, there's actually moments, and some of the other parents who are on my team can testify to this, there's actually moments when it looks like soccer. Right? They spread out. They pass the ball. They move the ball out of the center on defense. They move the ball into the center on offense. And there's something that happens in those moments when they actually play soccer. Two very important things. First is they enjoy it. And I would suggest, I believe they enjoy it more than they enjoy hacking at one another's shins. Like, it's, it's fun. Like, they practice. They play hard. They learn the disciplines of the sport. They follow the rules in order, because it's a fun game. They enjoy it. But there's something else equally important that happens. And that is, the coach is honored. Me. Now, I say this a little, uh, I, this will have an a, a application further on, so just bear with me, this self-aggrandization. But you know, some of the coaches look at me and say, wow, look at that. These kids know how to play soccer. They, they're enjoying the game. Their obedience led to their happiness, and their happiness led to the coach being honored and glorified. Now, let me apply this to the Christian faith. There are rules and disciplines of the Christian faith. And why are they there? Are they there because God doesn't want you to have fun? No. They are there because they are the rules of how God has made us to work. They are the rules that allow you and me to play the game. As it turns out, we're meant to work for six days a week and take one day of rest a Sabbath. Try to break that, and life does not work. The, the disciplines... Uh, and the practices of the faith, two of which we've considered this morning. Do what you are doing. Uh, don't fall prey to presumptuous sin. These are all disciplines that enabled you and me to play the game. To have joy in playing the game. To have a full life, a free life in playing the game of life. And do you know who is honored when you and I are happy? The coach. God. John Piper, the theologian, said, God is most honored when we are most satisfied in him. That makes sense. Our happiness and our obedience brings honor 
to him. Eric Little is perhaps the best example of this. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard this before, so just bear with me. Eric Little was a great track star of the 1920s. He was from a devout Christian family, and his, uh, his whole family encouraged him to go pursue uh, the mission field in China. And he did. But before he did, he ran in the 1924 Olympics. And there's this great moment in the scene in the movie Chariots of Fire when Eric Little talks to his sister and tells his sister that he's going to hold off on the, on the mission field and instead pursue uh, his dreams for the Olympics. And he says this. He says, I will go and serve in China, but before I go, I have a lot of running to do. Because, and the sister's crestfallen, she wants Eric to go and go immediately Eric says, I believe that God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. It's not just fun, but it brings honor to him. Do you see his happiness, his pleasure, his pleasure in doing what God had made him to do, brought honor to God. So, we draw these thoughts to a conclusion. How do you honor God in the mundane stuff of life? How do you, like the wise men, glorify God and enjoy him? I offer three thoughts. First is, you honor God in what you are doing by doing whatever it is you are doing, regardless of its significance, regardless of its seeming importance to you. Because here's the thing, most of the things that seem insignificant to us, we just have no idea. And most of, some of those things, some of those passing conversations that may seem completely insignificant to us, we just have no idea how significant they may prove to be. So whatever you're doing, are you listening to a child? Listen, are you at work? Work. Are you cooking? Cook. Are you playing soccer? Play soccer. Do whatever it is you are doing. Second, avoid presumptuous sin. We are all, all of us are sinners. We're all going to make mistakes. It's part of the game. But there is a distinction between the, the sin that is a part of all of our lives and the deliberate, high-handed sin of knowing the wrong and just not caring. Avoid it. Number three. We honor God, we glorify God by being satisfied, by being happy in joyful obedience to him in whatever it is we're doing. So three principles for you for me, of how we glorify God in our every day. Or stated more simply, for the benefit of a 10-year-old who asks, how do you play soccer to the glory of God? I would simply say this. Play hard, play fair, have fun. <laughs>